One of the most sobering lessons that I learned when I first arrived in Canada, this was 1982 and my very first ever time to set foot on Canadian soil. We were staying with Beulah's brother in Etobicoke, just on the outskirts of Toronto. And we stayed there overnight. And of course, with a one-year-old, Ewan was a, just a baby, one years old. And uh, with the jet lag and everything, he was ready to go at the wee hours of the morning. So I put him in a stroller, and off I went down the street, not knowing anything of the area, not knowing where to go. And I landed in a massive graveyard in my first hours of daylight in Canada. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're coming to another Luther lesson. And here in this chapter by Merle Daubigny, we have Luther and Leo X, the Pope of Rome. Truth at last had raised her head in the midst of Christendom. Victorious over the inferior ministers of the papacy, she was now to enter upon a struggle with its chief in person. We are about to contemplate Luther contending with Rome. It was after his return from Heidelberg that he took this bold step. His early theses on the indulgences had been misunderstood. He determined to explain their meaning with greater clearness. From the clamors that a blind hatred extorted from his enemies, he had heard how important it was to win over the most enlightened part of the nation to the truth. He therefore resolved to appeal to its judgment by setting forth the basis on which his new convictions were founded. It was requisite at once to challenge the decision of Rome. He did not hesitate to send his explanations thither, while he presented them with one hand to the enlightened and impartial readers of his nation, with the other he led them before the throne of the sovereign pontiff. These explanations of his theses, which he styled resolutions, were written in a very moderate tone. Luther endeavored to soften down the passages that had occasioned the greatest irritation, and thus gave proof of genuine humility. But at the same time he showed himself to be unshaken in his convictions, and courageously defended all the propositions which truth obliged him to maintain. He repeated once more that every truly penitent Christian possesses remission of sins without papal indulgences, that the Pope, like the meanest priest, can do no more than simply declare what God has already pardoned, that the treasury of the merits of the saints administered by the Pope was a pure chimera, and that the Holy Scriptures were the sole rule of faith. I care not for what pleases or displeases the Pope. He is a man like other men. There have been many Popes who loved not only error and vices, but still more extraordinary things. I listen to the Pope as Pope. That is to say, when he speaks in the canons according to the canons, or when he decrees some article in conjunction with a council. 
but not when he speaks after his own ideas. Were I to do otherwise, ought I not to say with those who know that not Christ, that the horrible massacres of Christians, by which Julian II was stained, were the good deeds of a gentle shepherd toward Christ's flock. I cannot help wondering, continued Luther, at the simplicity of those who have asserted that the two swords of the gospel represent one the spiritual, the other the secular power. Yes, the Pope wields a sword of iron. It is thus he exhibits himself to Christendom, not as a tender father, but as a formidable tyrant. Well, you can see where that is leading. And, of course, the gulf between Martin Luther and the Pope was ever-widening. And thus it led to that break to the Protestant Reformation. We are thankful today that we have this gospel heritage, that we're no longer serving a Pope, but that we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the only head and King of His Church. Listening to the Reformation Choir. This is Ian Gallagher. We're moving now to the pulpit ministry of our church to the Psalm 32 and the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. May the Lord open your heart, draw you to receive God's word today, that you might know the joy of sins forgiven. The portion of the text or verse that I want to look at tonight is 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, the last little statement. There is but a step between me and death. 
This morning we rehearsed some of the doings in the life of Martin Luther, how it was through the fear of death that he was driven to the monastery. If all men feared death as they should, they would be seeking the way of life. In this event in David's life, he expressed that he was a hunted man. It was literally true, because Saul, in his rage and madness, was on a relentless pursuit to destroy David. A spirit of jealousy had gotten into Saul. He realized his gifts, his talents, and of course he was jealous of those women who sang that Saul hath slain his thousands, but David hath slain his tens of thousands. And so after near-nigh death escapes, times when it seemed that it was up for David, and then he escaped the javelin, or he escaped the sword, and again now that a spirit of fear has gripped him, and he confesses to Jonathan, who very strangely is Saul's son, but now becomes the bosom friend of David, and he opens up to him, and he explains the inner fear that he is living with. And he says, if I don't get this right, if I step that way or this way, or if I'm not aware of my surroundings, there is but a step between me and death. I think these were a wake-up call in David's own heart. Sometimes the things that we put into words, they alarm us, and they are the reality that we should have been comprehending right up to that time. This text stands forever as a wake-up call to every one of us. Because what David said in this little statement was true for him, but it is true for every man and woman in this world in every generation. There is but a step between me and death. Because each and every day we are walking a tightrope, one little slip, one wrong move, and we may be overtaken by death. Death stalks us in so many manners. Like Saul's, there has to be many avenues by which death can catch up with us. So I want us to look at this text tonight, firstly, as a wake-up call to the reality of death. And I also want us to make it a wake-up call to the wisdom that it demands. Because when David expressed the fear of his heart, and put it in these words, there is but a step between me and death. Jonathan, he came up with a plan. And I wonder tonight, what is your plan for the day of your death? What are you going to do when you must, as we say, cross the chilly waters of Jordan, leaving this world and into the next? Do you have a plan? Firstly, the wake-up call that this is but a step between us and death, that it is so because death is imminent. It is but a, a step 
Death, as I said, is a stalker. It follows us everywhere that we go in this world. And death can find us in any situation of life. Many face death on the battlefield, and of course, they prepare for that. They understand the risks, they understand the dangers, and they sign up to enter the battlefield, and they face death in that more heroic way. Many die or face death in less heroic manners, like the geologist who was out on the ice fields in the Arctic just recently and fell in between the uh, caves or the calving of the ice and lost his life in a, an exploratory expedition. Multitudes face death in the most innocent acts of life, some even by swallowing a fishbone, just sitting down to an everyday meal and it takes their life away. Or what also is seemingly very innocuous, slipping on a bit of moss. You lose your foot, you bang your head, and your life is gone. Death comes also when it's least expected, even in the middle of the night. There are many that just sigh with a gasp, and they're gone into eternity. Death comes to the aged in the throes of natural causes. The gentlest passing that I have ever witnessed was of a gentleman who attended our church for a time, Mr. Steve Dornian. He used to sit right down there in that, my right-hand side, somewhere in the middle. He and his wife, Mary, attended the church. She was a tremendous memorizer of Scripture. She was a part of this little group that challenged one another to memorize the Scriptures. And uh, I had many occasions to visit Steve in the hospital and the hospice where he eventually passed away. And on the day that he died, I walked into the, the ward of the hospice, and his daughter was there, and I went up to the bed, and he was breathing very lightly, very peaceably, very calmly, and I began to pray. And I just called on the Lord to draw near, and when I opened my eyes, the breathing was over. In that moment of prayer, he had gone out of this world right into the next. There is literally but a step, an instant, between our life here and this world. Death is all around us. We live in a culture where people try to hide death. We don't want to see the funeral car on the road. We don't want to see the corpse after death has taken over. But you just Google the word hospice, and you will find that in every community, certainly in Canada, you will find a hospice. A hospice is a name for a place where people spend their last days. Usually they get special care, they need some pain management, and they are attended to with great attention, thankfully, in this country. And in those hospices, not only will you find the aged, but you will find children, those who are taken away early in life, 
because death comes to all ages. Death even comes to the maternity unit, the place that ought to be the place of joy and happiness. Yes, death strikes there too. In third world countries that do not have the medical services as we enjoy in Canada, the death rate for childbirth is exceedingly high. Mothers, many of them young mothers, that try to give birth either alone or without some professional help, and when something goes wrong, it can take their life. You read in time, say, the Puritans, and there have been many preachers like Matthew Henry and his brother and various others, and many men lost their wives in childbirth. It was a very common thing. In this day, thankfully, the numbers of deaths has been greatly reduced. Then also we need to go to the graveyard. And when you visit the graveyard in any city, any town, any village, it will tell its own story of the visitation of death to every home. And usually you can read the names and the date of birth and the date of death, and it will tell you that people die at all stages of life, and that death is a reality in every community. One of the most sobering lessons that I learned when I first arrived in Canada, this was 1982, and my very first ever time to set foot on Canadian soil. We were staying with Beulah's brother in Etobicoke, just on the outskirts of Toronto, and we stayed there overnight, and of course, with a one-year-old, Ewan was a, just a baby, one years old, and uh, with the jet lag and everything, he was ready to go at the wee hours of the morning. So I put him in a stroller, and off I went down the street, not knowing anything of the area, not knowing where to go, and I landed in a massive graveyard in my first hours of daylight in Canada. And I saw all these different tributes of various religions. I saw these lamps that were lit 24-7. I, I can't tell you if they were Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Roman Catholic, or whatever. But my first impression upon arrival in Canada, this country that was claimed to be a young country, to be a vibrant country, a country of energy, but it's also a country of death. It is absolutely imminent. It is all around us, and it comes to everyone. But when David said, there is but a step between me and death, he also recognized that it was individual. There is but a step between me and death. And when he was speaking these words, he wasn't thinking of others. He was thinking of his own life and his own death because the target was on his back. It was he that Saul was pursuing. Now, every one of us can adopt this same personal pronoun and say, death and me. There is but a step between me and death. And in so many matters of life, we talk about 
other people and their experiences, and we sort of live their experiences through them. They experience it, we learn about it, we read their story, and vicariously we put ourselves into their shoes and we live out what they experience. But we're not going to experience death vicariously. We're going to experience it personally, because one day it will come to me, and one day each of us will lay down our lives. It's also inescapable. That's why it's a wake-up call for us. It is all around us. It is inevitable, but it is also inescapable. But a step. Death always catches up. It is like a one-to-one appointment with your own doctor. And of course, the appointment is made ahead of time, and you put the date in the calendar, but you're the one that has to go. You're the one that has to sit in the waiting room. You're the one that has to go into the interview room. There, you're the one that he's going to examine, and you're the one that he's going to give the results. And you're going to find out one day that death is coming. I read a story. It's one of those Arabic fables, but it hits the point here tonight. It's about the man in Baghdad who had an appointment with death in Samara. There was this merchant in Baghdad who sent his servant to the market. And while he was there, he jostled with a woman. And as he saw her and he heard her voice, he returned home white and trembling. And he said to his master, while I was at the marketplace, I've heard the voice of death. And death jostled with me. And so the man said to his master, lend me your horse, and I shall flee. I will leave the city, and I will go to Samara, and there I will be safe. And so the owner gave him the horse, allowed his servant to depart, and that day he went to the market. And when he was in the market, he met this woman called Death, and the woman looked at him surprised and shocked. And the owner said, why would you be so shocked? And why was that a threatening gesture? And, of course, she said that I was astonished to see him in Baghdad. This is of his servant now. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I had an appointment with him tonight in Samara. The point being that that appointment was going to be kept no matter what he did to prevent it. And so this text is a wake-up call to each one of us, because death is inevitable and it is irreversible. Is there any more final word than death? Check all your vocabulary. Check all the synonyms you wish. But when you use the word death, that's final. It is over. It is time to give up. It's time to change course. Do you remember what Abraham said concerning his, his wife as he purchased a, a grave site for her? He said to the sons of Seth, Give me a possession of a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. 
Why would he do that? Because of the immediate corruption of the body. When death strikes, communion, fellowship, friendship, love, devotion, it's over. Death is final. Do you remember Milos Schulz, our missionary from, the, from Prague, who, or Czech Republic, not in the city of Prague, up north from it, but when he uh, told us about his grandmother passing away, that his family wanted him to be introduced to the reality of death at eight years of age. And now he was taken in and shown the open casket, the corpse, and he was allowed to hold his grandmother's hand as cold as marble. And there he was introduced to the reality of death. It is irreversible. Warmth would never return. Life would never return. It's over. And my own illustration of life as a straight line, I want to remind you tonight that death is a one-way direction. The Bible is very, very clear that we are born once. We live on this earth once, whatever little stretch of time God has given. And one has used an illustration of a very long rope, and he ties a few colored uh, markings at the end. And there's just about an inch or an inch and a half to the tape area marked red with death. And that first little inch and a half is your life on earth. At the end of the beginning of that rope, there you were born. You live your little life up to the point of death. And then the rest of the rope, with all its reams and reams of rope, that's eternity. And you are going to pass this way, but once you will never return. And when you reach death, the Bible says, after death, the judgment. You will be judged once. You will be consigned into eternity, heaven or hell. And the judgment, the announcement, will be made once. And that will be your eternal fate. You will never change it. The Lord Jesus taught this clearly in Luke's Gospel 19 of the rich man and the beggar. And between the two in eternity, there was a great gulf fixed. The rich man opened his eyes in torment. He cried out that he might have his, his tongue cooled with water. He pleaded uh, with Father Abraham, but the announcement was that there is this gulf fixed. There is no transfer over. It is a one-way, permanent, eternal fate for the soul that dies without Christ. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music